All right, good morning and welcome to Palm Sunday. Right out coming to you is a little palm, I know. It's like pretty quite obvious, right? Oh, and it's a fine fan if you're like, oh, hallelujah. It's like uh, getting some church up in there, uh-oh. Palm Sunday is a smile one. Sometimes they're serious Sundays. Palm Sunday is actually a fairly lively, sort of energetic uh, Sunday. So if you'll just turn to a, a neighbor and just smile at them, that's all. Just give them a little smile, tell them good morning as those palms are going out. Hey, hey, hey. Our youth group is going to stay with us today because uh, we had them last week, and we're going to have them Good Friday, and we're going to have them Easter, so we didn't want them to break them out of this series. So they're going to stay here this, uh, just today as well. I know it's out of order, but that's okay. And so, uh, ready? We're going to do a shout-out. Uh, if you're new, don't panic. Ready? I love God, and I love y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome to Palm Sunday. This is our one week before Easter celebration. And it's all about palms, like duh, right? Like that's why it's called Palm Sunday. It is all about this kind of palm, right? I think we have a, a quick, uh, uh, that's our sermon title. There we go. It's all about palms. No, not that kind. It's about this kind. Oh, <laughs> not that guy either. Nope. It's about this, the phone, of course, palm, if you remember that. Nope, nope, nope. It's about this. It's, it's definitely about this, the, the place. No. And now, right now, I know the church is wondering, like, uh, how long can Pastor Sam do this, right? And I'll tell you, Google is a horrible, horrible rabbit hole. And so if you start down this trail, you may be there for hours. Maybe this guy, Arnold Palmer, right? No, he passed away. So. Or this. No one will know what that is, hopefully. Hey. <laughs> Dang it. Or, or no, so it's not that. It's not about that one. It's, it's about this casino, definitely, <laughs> right? Nope, it's not that either, and it's going to get more obscure. Maybe it's this one. No? Okay, okay. As you guys know, it's probably actually about palms as in the leaf. Yep, so woo, wave your fake leaf. We're going to do this a little bit today. Wave your fake leaf. If I don't see you, I'm going to call you out if you're not waving your fake leaf. And so Palm Sunday uh, comes, from, it comes from four different passages in the Gospels. So it comes from John chapter 12, Matthew chapter 21, Mark 11, Luke 19. Rather than do all of them, I sort of mashed them all together today. And so I'm going to cover a bunch of different verses talking about Palm Sunday, and we're going to see some really cool stuff. All right, so we're just going to jump into it. The large crowd that had come to the feast, so this is the feast of Passover the Jews are required to go. So they're all in Jerusalem at this time. And so they had come to the fast. They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And as he rode along, many spread their cloaks on the road, and others took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him. Right? So this is why it's called Palm Sunday, because of this. They could have called it Cloak Sunday, but that doesn't sound as cool, right? So uh, Palm Sunday it is. Now, maybe you don't know this, but, but palm is a really important plant in the like, uh, multicultural milieu of Jesus' day. You like that? He's milieu. <laughs> It's a really important plant because there's, there's like a whole bunch of cultures coming together when Jesus was around. There was Jewish culture, and in Jewish culture, the, the law of Leviticus actually tells the Jewish people that they have to take palms at, at a certain festival called the Festival of Tabernacles or Booths or Sachat, if you're like Hebrew, you know? And so what they would do is they would take palms and they would celebrate uh, it was part of the worship service where they would celebrate that God provided for them in the wilderness, and he took them out of the wilderness into the promised land. So that's kind of what the palm meant for the Jews a little bit. So that's in the Levitical law. So keep that in mind. For the Romans, uh, for the Roman Empire, the palm branch symbolized triumph and victory. 
Like it, it became one of the most common attributes of the goddess Nike, not the swoosh. This is pre-swoosh. So for the Romans, this was what Nike meant. Okay, so the palm branch was part of triumph, victory. And for the contemporary Roman observers, those that were in Jerusalem watching, when all of a sudden they were doing these palm branches to the Roman folks, it looked like an emperor coming in. That's how a Roman emperor would come in after he had triumphed in victory. He wouldn't come in on his horse. He would, he would change out of his, his military gear. He would put on his civilian toga. And that civilian toga would often be decorated with palms as a symbol of his triumph over the city that he was entering. Now, near, near to this region, right below them is Egypt, and it crosses over to, to Israel all the time. And for the Egyptians, the palm was carried at funeral processions. And the palm represented eternal life for the Egyptian. Another weird thing for the Jewish folks, since 164 B.C., about 200 years before Jesus, the palm branch was a symbol of Israel, and it was used in, in national celebrations, and, and it was used to show the support of people for, for God and for the nation of Israel. And so we're celebrating Palm Sunday, so which is it? What if God is complicated enough to, to be echoing all of those things? hearkening to the celebration of the entry into the promised land, because this is Jesus coming in. He's about to die on the cross a week later, this Good Friday here. What if, it is, what if it's a symbol, the palm branch, when he's coming in, of the beginning of glory because he's going to provide eternal promised land? But, but what if it's like the Romans, where it's the triumphant entry of Jesus, that he's going to conquer over death and, and hell and Satan permanently at the cross? Maybe the beginning of glory. Or, or maybe it is the hearkening from the Egyptian religion that, that it is a symbol of death and eternal life because in just a few days, Jesus is going to die and then provide eternal life for people. Or maybe, again, it's for the Jewish support that, hey, our nation is going to rise up and follow God. Man, what if, what if Jesus is trying to say all of this at the same time? What if this is happening, and it's, it's not just a coincidence that all these cultures are saying these things about Jesus because it's the beginning of glory. And so I would say that Palm Sunday is quite appropriately named Palm Sunday for all of those things, and Palm Sunday is, is really talking about the beginning of God's glory. So when we get a little bit of stuff today, we're going to do our wave in our palms. So, so it is about the beginning of Jesus' glory, so we do a little wave right there. Woo! Good times. Continuing on, as he was drawing near, the whole multitude of the disciples, they began to rejoice, and they started to praise with like loud voices for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna. They were all singing that song, Peace in Heaven, Glory in the Highest. The people are starting to get excited. They're amped up because of the things that they had actually seen from Jesus. Look how the beginning of that verse said. It says, as they were drawing near, they, they were rejoicing because of the mighty works that they had seen Jesus do. Jesus had done some miracles, like a ton of miracles. Just the week before, he had laid, raised Lazarus from the dead. And they're like, dude, this guy's amazing. There's something cool going on. They're all excited. Several of these phrases that we just read here where they're shouting out Hosanna, they're actually quotes from a song. And, and the people, they, they have no idea how true 
the song is that they're singing. It comes from a psalm that all the Hebrew folks would have memorized because it was what the one they used in church. And, and it's Psalm 118. If you ever have a chance to read Psalm 118, go back and read that one because the, the parts that they're singing is, is just part of it. And the whole psalm is about God's salvation. And you read that and then you're thinking Jesus and you're like, oh my gosh, that's nutty. Especially because that psalm was written a thousand years before Jesus. And then they're singing this song as he's coming in and you read that psalm and it's about God's salvation. And you're like, ooh, man, that's pretty crazy. The word Hosanna actually is an exclamation and a declaration and words of expectation beseeching God for something. It, 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 it translates out to like, God, would you save us? Or, or it, has, it has this really weird tone because it used to mean like, like a question, God, are you going to save us? But then as they were using it, it became an exclamation. God, will you save us? Will you save us? God, save us. Save us, please, God. Save us. And that's where it's being used now as that sort of sense. So Hosanna means God saves, or, or it's actually a beseech of the, the person asking it. God, please save us. They're shouting this out, and they're singing it out. The save phrases are interesting because I think the people generally understood this to be a, a political saving. They thought Jesus was coming in right now, and he is going to kick out the Romans, and they are going to establish a new world order on the planet where God is going to take over the government and they are going to win, finally, military victories, just like they used to under Joshua. Many didn't quite understand that Jesus had something greater in mind than political victory. Yet I think some people do have a sense of, of that greaterness because there are some that were shouting out, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There were some who were quoting King of David, and then some were saying, like, hey, maybe there's something more. And that just shows us this multitude of crowd. They got a lot of different kind of folks there. There, There's some people who are very serious followers of Jesus. There's some who are looky-loos. There are some who uh, actually wanted to kill Jesus. And so there's a big mixed bag of folks that are hanging around on this Palm Sunday. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it. And just as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on donkey colt. And that's a weird quote. It's actually from an Old Testament prophet named Zechariah, because we all read Zechariah a lot. I know you recognize that right away. And that's from Zechariah 9.9. Now, let me actually read. They only quote part of it, but, but the actual quote is even better. So Zechariah, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, here's what he writes. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. That's like Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So Zechariah, hundreds of years ago, said, hey, the king is going to come humble. And he's going to be the king of salvation. That's a fantastic quote that that comes right here. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is declaring that he is king of Israel, but not in the way that people expected. Being political king, that would have been okay, but that would have been a limited glory. And Jesus has something so much better in mind than a limited glory. He wants to be the king of eternity. So riding on a donkey historically meant that the king was entering the city in peace, so for the, the Romans, the, the horse was the animal of war. And if you rode in on the horse, that means you're going to bust these people up. But if you come in on the donkey, that means you're coming in on peace. And it's all good. And we're friends. And so Jesus enters the city as the prince of peace, not a war-waging king. 
He's riding on a donkey, and that's not an accident. It's twofold. It's a fulfillment of that Zechariah prophecy, but it's also saying, hey, I am the Prince of Peace. I'm not here to do the conquest in the way that you understand conquest. I'm not going to become a king in the way that you think kings become kings. I'm going to do it in a totally different way, pointing to that powerful symbolism of eternal peace that he alone is going to offer them. That's the beginning of glory here on this Palm Sunday. Now, the Bible is really honest, and it says his disciples, they didn't understand what was going on. (laughs) They're like, Palm. (laughs) Still Googling whether the casino was like the thing he's talking about, right? They didn't really know. Now, you can't blame them. They're not super smart. They're all fishermen before this. They're not totally educated. And uh, they didn't understand these things. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. They looked back and they're like, oh, Palm Sunday, like, you know, because he's going to save and peace and like all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they remember those things that had been written about him and, and that had been done to him. So when he gets glorified, they remember. So here we see on Palm Sunday, it's just the beginning of that glorification. It's the beginning of glory. Thus, the title of the sermon today, in case you didn't pick that up so far. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb last week and raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness. So the, all, everyone who met Lazarus, and Lazarus is actually walking around, so much so that the Jews are like, we need to kill that guy because like, that dead guy's walking around. We need to re-kill him because he's talking about Jesus too much. And so, so they continue to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet Jesus was that they heard that he had done all these signs. So the Pharisees, they started talking amongst each other, and they, they say, you see that, they, that you're gaining nothing. <laughs> They're talking to one another. They look, the whole world's gone after him. The people are like, yo, there's this dead guy, and he was raised to life, and this dead guy is now telling people, hey, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. You need to follow him. And that's a dead person walking around that's been revived, and it's verified by other people. They had just seen it. It wasn't a long time ago. It wasn't in history for them. It was in their reality. That was like, yes, I remember last week, when, two weeks ago, when Lazarus was six, and then he died, and we had that funeral, and you know, I had to give 100 bucks because it was a funeral or whatever. And then the guy, I remember, he was dead. I went there. And then, oh, here he is talking about Jesus now. And the people are like, I go, going crazy. The Pharisees recognized that something big was going on, and they didn't want to stop. Uh, they, didn't want, they wanted to stop it because they didn't want to lose control. They are in charge currently, and they didn't want to lose power or influence over people. So they're like, we got to stop this. People are, too many people are going over to him. And some of the Pharisees who are in the crowd, they, they shout out to him. They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And then, and then Jesus says, I tell you, if, if the people were silent, then the very stones would cry out. Like they recognized that the praise of the people and the quotes about the Messiah, but they didn't believe it to be true of, of Jesus. They recognized, they were like, hey, sh- tell your people to shut up because they shouldn't be saying those things about you. And Jesus is like, oh, yes, they should. And if I told them to shut up, even that couldn't stop the praise. The, the very ground would shout out. Beginning of glory. See, the beginning of glory can't be silent. Mm-mm, that's some palm wave right there. And some of the f- now among those who went up to the worship at the feast, there were some Greeks there too. So these came to Philip, 
who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, apparently has a relationship, knows them or something. And they asked him, sir, we want to see Jesus. Now, this is really interesting because the Greeks are interested in Jesus. See, Jesus isn't just for the Jews, and we saw it in Jesus' life. We saw him go to Jewish folks, but we saw him go to Roman people, and we saw him go to Greek people, and we saw him go to Samaritan people and proclaim that he was the Savior of the whole world, not just one group of people, not just for the Jews. And we see the Greeks recognize it, and they want to talk to him. So Philip, he goes and he tells Andrew. Uh, Andrew and Philip then go and talk to Jesus. So apparently there's a vetting process to be able to talk to Jesus because it's pretty crowded at the time. You know, he did raise a dead guy last week and stuff. And so Jesus answered them, hey, okay. So he gets meeting with them, and, and he says, the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, like, no, truly, listen, like I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, then it just remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And whoever loves his life here, they're going to lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world, they're going to keep it for eternity. Because if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father is going to honor him. Wow, what a powerful declaration of salvation and prophetic word about his own death and resurrection. Like we read this and we're like, of course Jesus is going to die and resurrect and bear much fruit and that sort of stuff, right? We see it with the lens of hindsight historically. We see it because we've read it already. But, but they are actually living it. This is a current time thing for the people almost 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday. And isn't it interesting that Jesus' death necessarily precedes his resurrection? That the horror of death is necessary to demonstrate the miracle of resurrection, which is the most important key to verifying that Jesus' claims as Savior are true. It's through death which life comes. And so it's same true with us. For those of us who trust Jesus, our death is the beginning of our life, not the end of it. See, this is, your hell is right now. And your real life starts the moment you die. Isn't that really interesting? Death is not the end of life. For the believer, not only is death unavoidable, but death is, for the Christian, essentially good. When I die, things will be better for me. It's a totally different way, and this is what Jesus is talking about. The world is nothing. Death is nothing. Real life happens after death. Then he talks, uh, Jesus talks a little bit more. He says, now, is my soul troubled? What shall I say then? Should I say, like, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I've come to this actual hour. So instead, Father, glorify your name. So Jesus reveals that though his soul is troubled by his circumstances, like, he's like, oh, this is not going to be great. The cross is coming. Jesus knows it on Friday. And so though he is troubled by his circumstances and the circumstances that he's facing, he will follow God to the glory of God. I mean, what an example for us, right? To stand for God despite conflicting and difficult emotions. To be able to stand with God and for God in the middle of my tragedy or the middle of difficulties in life or the heartbreaking circumstances or situations where we can say in the middle of that, just like Jesus, Father, be glorified because it's not about my situation, it's about your honor and glory. And that's powerful stuff. 
And as he says this, then watch what happens. Then a voice came out of heaven. It's always hard to do the God voice. <clears throat> I have glorified it. No, I, that, that sounds evil, right? <clears throat> I have glorified it. I mean, if I could only do Denzel or something. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This is like God speaking out of heaven. And the crowd stood there, and they heard it, and they said that it, that it had thundered. And others were like, yeah, and angels had spoken to him. And, and Jesus said, well, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. That's talking about the devil. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death that he was going to die. Now, this is really weird because like, I'm reading this, and the people didn't even trip that a voice out of heaven spoke to them, and it sounded like thunder. They're like... I mean, last week a dead guy raised, right? Jesus has been doing all these miracles, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah it sounded like a voice from heaven. Because that happens, right? So we're sitting here, and can you imagine a voice? Thunder's, like, scary. I don't know about you, but thunder's terrifying when it's far away. Have you ever gotten a sort of a close thunder, and it's like, boom, and your walls shake, and we don't have new triple-pane glass, so we have old ones that's like, <laughs> our house, and it's going to collapse. It's terrifying, and this is sort of the voice of God and the people, and the and there's not even mention about them. They're like, oh, yeah, there was that voice. Yeah, it's whatever. Like, no, it's not whatever. A voice from heaven and God and thundering, and it sounded like angels is nutty. But uh, apparently not, because dead guys rise in their life. And so here we have first miracles and Jesus' proclamation of his death before it happened. Like, this is, he's saying, like, look, I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect myself. There's a pastor named Andy Stanley who says, he said, if someone could predict their own death and resurrection and then actually do it, then you should listen to what that person says. So feel free to proclaim your own death and resurrection, and, and if that turns out to be true, I will do whatever you say. Okay, so go ahead and try the first part first, and then if the second part comes true, then wherever you want to go, we'll go. You tell us to do something, we'll do something. The reason to be a Christian lies in the verification of truth in this historical reality. Like, no other religion pins it all on this verifiable historical account. Jesus says, like, look, it's, it's all about me dying and then resurrecting. I'm telling you ahead of time that it's going to happen, and next week we're going to see that it actually happens. And if it doesn't happen, then don't be a Christian. It's a really cool statement about drawing all people to himself, Jesus says then. He says, I'm going to draw all people to myself. And that, that doesn't mean that uh, we believe in universalism, which says that everyone gets to go to heaven. But what he means by all people, it's, a, it's an ethnically inclusive idiom. When he says, I'm going to draw all men, it means all types of men. All types of men and women from different ethnic groups, from different countries, from different nationalities. And that's so cool. Because one of the things at Jericho Road that we want is to be a church that God uses to call people from all over the world to himself. We want to be one body filled with multiple ethnicities. So like your African-American coworker, we want them to be welcome here. Maybe your mixed marriage uh, friends who are on the baseball team, yep, we want them to be here. What started from the strength of, uh, of second-generation Korean saints will become a home for everyone, no matter what race, color, or ethnicity. Like, I think that's, that's pretty cool because I think that that's what God has. And so that, for me, that's I'm going to do a palm wave for that one. I like that one. And I happen to be sort of multi-ethnic marriage in case <laughs> my wife's not the same race as me. So that works out really well. Almost finished here. So the crowd answered him. So Jesus said that stuff. And they said, 
Look, we heard from the law that the Christ has to remain forever. How could you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Like, who are you talking about then? Who's the Son of Man? So Jesus says to them, the light's among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Now, this is really, again, it's another Old Testament reference. By using the title Son of Man, sometimes we're thinking like, oh, it's because Jesus is a person. No, Son of Man is a, is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel prophecies, he says God is going to come as the Messiah, the Son of Man, to establish an everlasting kingdom. So that's what Daniel says. So feel free to look it up in Daniel chapter 7 if you want. Son of Man is a title talking about God coming and establishing a rule forever on the planet. And so that's what they're confused by. They're like, "Why the Son of Man is supposed to be an eternal salvation. Why are you talking about dying? Which is a really good question. And they were confused why he's talking about death because they couldn't reconcile what he meant in light of God saving them. They thought that it was going to be from now on permanently. They didn't quite understand that Jesus' death and then resurrection was going to be a spiritual, uh, eternal salvation rather than a political one. So we see it clearly because, again, we have that historical hindsight, right? We have this completed testimony as recorded in the Bible. And so we see that what Jesus is talking about, but this got to be really confusing for them because they were expecting this certain type of Messiah, and Jesus is saying, I'm something else. Jesus is saying, like, I'm, I'm beginning the work of eternal salvation. Glory is coming. Salvation is near. And the light is shining. And God, God's going to be glorified through Jesus. And Jesus is, is going to glorify God the Father. And our last section here. So he enters into Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. They've been doing the wave in. As he entered the Jerusalem, the whole city stirred up. Everyone's all around. Now, there's a lot of folks here because they're required to come to Jerusalem once a year. And this is that time. So nationally, as many people who could travel are there. It's packed. And so all the people started saying, like, okay, what is going on? Who is this person, the crowd says. And some of them said, like, this is Jesus, the, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so who is this? What a perfect question. But the crowd only has a limited answer. Now, D- Jesus is going to demonstrate that he's more than a prophet by dying and resurrecting from the dead. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week on, on Easter where our sermon is going to be Easter equals glory, and we're going to worship God together. So next week is really a perfect week. If you've been thinking about inviting someone, like maybe you've been praying for someone at work or, or a friend, and you've been thinking about inviting them to church, most people are pretty open to going on an on a Easter Sunday. And so that, that would be a perfect week if you were going to invite someone to come here. We're going to have some Easter celebration. Uh, sermon's not going to be too long. We have some baptisms. We have some cute babies that are going to get dedicated, that kind of stuff. Um, there's going to be taco truck, a couple of taco trucks. So I think they were having two this year, so the light will move fast. All you can eat tacos, pretty fantastic. It's going to be good. <laughs> uh, yeah, <so> hallelujah. <laughs> Why is that a universal church wave, right? <laughs> like taco trucks. Because nothing says Easter like tacos, right? Or hard-boiled eggs. I don't know why that says Easter either, right? But... Um, there are some people in our church who like to dress fancy for Easter, and if that's, it, that's you, then awesome. I hope that you rock it, dress up fancy, take some cool pictures with your kids if that's you. But if you, if you just fancy flip-flops and board shorts, that's fine too. Um, but just know that there may be some people in, in suits and some in board shorts, and, and that, is, that is absolutely perfect, a great picture. Don't mind it at all. Everyone is welcome just as they are.
Would you join me in just closing this up with some prayer? And then we're going to do a little bit of worship as we sit in the reality that that almost 2,000 years ago, this actual day, like Jesus was living Palm Sunday. Like we celebrate it, but 2,000 years ago, Jesus was actually doing the Palm Sunday with the palms and the people and all of that stuff. And you just sit in that for a second. Just just reliving that in your mind with, with all of its symbolism, all the joy, all the power. The beginning of glory. Thank you, Jesus, for the historical reality of you coming to this planet to be glorified, but to be glorified through sacrifice for me, and then to live it out, to love, and to demonstrate all that on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for Palm Sunday, that joyful beginning of the glory that's coming. 